Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. Just to add my voice to those voices, um, I had the privilege of speaking at youth camp this year and spending lots of time with those wonderful humans. And I've also been able to do some writing classes with them. And I can honestly say my impression when I left youth camp was, I am not worried that we are leaving this world to them. I'm not worried. They're pretty spectacular. They're brave and they're kind and they're, they're not fearless, but they're courageous. And they're very, very honest and I love them. So we, first of all, hello, Imago. So it's weird. I was gone last week. I went to a conference this past week and I was here last Sunday, but then I was gone from Tuesday to yesterday and I still missed you guys. I miss being just in this, in this space. So we're, we're doing, we're in the middle of a, of a small series called Sacred Space. And it's important, I think, that we understand that we are in this space that is not, Alex mentioned to you last week, it's not liminal space. Liminal space is that space where you have you know, nothing's happening, we don't know what's going on. And, and in the world, we think of liminal space as the thing between, it's the threshold between what was and what is to come. But, but biblically, that's not how transitions actually happen. Biblically, you, you have liminal space, you have action and what's going on, and then there's this space in the middle. And it's when you think about it, think about it. Um, think about Moses. Moses had his time on the backside of the mountain, but he didn't just jump from there to the guy up on the mountain getting the law. Right? You had that burning bush time where he, where he spoke, where God spoke to him out of the bush and told him what was going to happen. You have Israel who left Egypt and they didn't go straight from Egypt into the promised land. They went through the wilderness. And then it says just before they went over the Jordan and into the promised land, they went through this period where they had to rest in this place called Gilgal where it says that God rolled away the shame of of their captivity. And then you think about David and you had Samuel who came and he anointed him to be king. And there was a lot of time between him being anointed to be king and when he actually actually became king. And there was this long period of running and wilderness and things happened. So the question that you have to ask is, what is that space for? So when you think about liminal space, the space where nothing is happening, the purpose of that space is for us to remember. You always hear God in the wilderness telling Israel, I need you to remember who I am. Or you have David who's writing his psalms and he's saying, I'll remember who you are. And so when you think about the word remember, it's actually to kind of allow your mind to, to, re, to, to reconnect the things that matter and to say, well, who, who is God in this place? And many of us have been in this and some of us are still in this liminal space where we're, we're between what was and what will happen and nothing's happening. 
and we have to remember that God is who he says he is. Or we're in a spirit, we're in a period of suffering, and we have to remember that God keeps his promises or that God is faithful, and we have to remember. Well, then there's this space that, that comes after liminal space but before the happening space. And the question that we have to ask is, what is that space for? Because that's the space that we're in now. And, it's, and we're calling it a sacred space. And so what we focus on when we're in that space, in what I like to call the before what's next space, is where we're reorienting ourselves and the charge in the sacred space is not so much to remember as much as it is to recognize. And what do I mean by recognize? The word recognize means to see again, to see anew or to see differently. We see something with our eyes, but then we also see it again with our mind and with our will and our heart. So when we recognize a thing, there is this element of assent and there's this element of acknowledgement. So when a person gets recognized for achieving something, we're not just seeing that they did a thing. We're agreeing that they've got this, this achievement, right? So that's what it means to recognize. And so it's kind of like our aha or our yeah, you know, space where we can kind of actually recognize. And what is it that we recognize? We're recognizing the presence of God. Last week we saw Joshua. And Joshua, when Alex preached the sermon, if you haven't heard it, you should actually listen to it. It was really amazing. You have Joshua who's in this space and he recognized the person of God. And it took him a minute to see, first he's seeing this angel of the Lord and he's saying, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he says, neither. And so he says, I am for you, but I'm not your mascot. I'm not a genie in a bottle. And so Joshua had to recognize that this person who he was, who he was just saying, you know, so, so who are you, for us or against us? He realized and recognized who he actually was. And then he went from asking this person to declare himself to realizing that it was God, and then Joshua begins to declare who God is. He went from what will you do for me to what can I do for you. And so we have to get to that place in this sacred space. So last week, we saw the position of God, that he is preeminent, that he is superior, that he is, he is um, other, and he is wholly other. And he is his holy otherness we need to acknowledge and realize that it's there. But this week, I don't want to talk so much about the person or the position of God. I want to talk about this other thing that we have to recognize in this sacred space. And that is we have to recognize the presence of God. And so if you really want to know just the key to this series and the key to understanding and, and figuring out exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the space, the place before what's next, just think about the pattern that's in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed is his name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Last week, we saw the name of God hallowed, and it affected the way Joshua behaved. This week, we're going to talk about his kingdom coming and what it looks like when the presence of God is with us. Next week, we're going to look at what it looks like when his will is being done. But just, just so that you know, that what, what it is is in this sacred space, in this place before what's next, 
after the liminal space where you have no idea what's going on, but in this sacred space, you see the person of God, and then you also see the presence of God. And you're making this transition in this space from seeing a king to seeing the king to understanding that he is my king. So next week, we're going to look at what it means that he is my king. This week, we're going to look at what it means when we receive and accept the presence of God as the king. And I want to use, we looked at Joshua last week, so I I think it's about time we look at the girls again. So I'm going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. Now, this is going to be familiar to many of you because it it happens to be that call of Mary when the angel Gabriel comes and calls Mary. And it's her response, and then it's, it's, it's her move. So you have Gabriel who shows up, and he has already shown up to her cousin Elizabeth. He's already shown up to Zechariah. And so now he comes to Mary, and he tells her that she's going to have this child, and it's going to be tells him who it's going to be and what he's going to be. He's going to save his people. His name's going to be Jesus. And the angel um, answered when she says, how is this possible? How is this going to be? It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on to you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who, has said, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Some translations it says, because nothing's impossible for God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, before you start thinking, well, wasn't it the angel that came to Mary and not God? And when we're talking about the presence of God, we're looking at how this angel came to Mary. Well, before he gets to Mary, he's had this conversation with Zechariah, who is Elizabeth's husband, who's got some problems believing that this is all happening anyway. And we know people like that, who God says something is fantastic or amazing or otherworldly that's going to happen, and they're just like, yeah, I don't know, that's so true, and how can that happen? And there's all these questions about it. And when he does this, the the angel Gabriel actually (laughs) says to him, Uh, Okay, so here's the deal. You're not going to talk until that baby is born. How about that? How about I'm just going to close your mouth until the baby's born? But what he says to him before he says that is he says, he says, um, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. So in other words, what I'm saying, God sent me to say. And as I stand here, I am and I represent the presence of God 
of God. So let's, let's talk about presence for a second because what we're looking at when we think about presence with God is I'm talking about it's, it's, it's the hereness and the nearness of God, both and. It's that he is a God who is here with us and he is a God who is close to us. So when I talk about the presence of God, I'm talking about a God who, as amazing and as incredible as we talked about and learned about last week that he was, he is also a God who, while wholly other, he is also a God who approaches, and he is a God who communes with us, and he is a God who is personal. He is a God who shows up, and this is significant. When you think about the names of God and the names of Jesus and the names of the Holy Spirit, they each have names that are um, unique to who they are. So you see Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, or you see that Jesus is called the Messiah, where God is not called the Messiah, or the Holy Spirit is not called the Messiah. Or you see names for the Holy Spirit, where he is wind, and he is, he is all of these things. He is the oil of joy. And you look at these things and you see that they have names that are unique to each of them that none of the other two have. But all of them have a name that means God shows up. Jehovah Shema is the God who is there. And that is one of God's names. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which is God with us. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter or the parakletos, which means the one who comes alongside. It's important to understand that while they each have unique names, they all have a name that means we show up and we are present. And that matters because it matters because it makes us understand that we don't just have a God who stands off and is faceless and just watches everything that is going on. We have a God who shows up and he's with us as we walk through the things we walk through. Jesus doesn't just say, I know how you feel. He says, I feel how you feel. And when he left, he said, I would not leave you by yourselves. So I left the Holy Spirit within you. And so that is the presence of God there because God didn't create us to look at us. He created us to love us. He created us to be with us. He created us so that we would be family with him, so that we would be at home with him. Writer James Baldwin says, perhaps home is not just a place, but rather it is an irrevocable condition. And when we think about the presence of God, we think that this idea of God being with us and his presence is irrevocable. It is an irrevocable way of being in the world. It is understanding that God is with me whether or not you are, that he is with me even when I'm not with myself, that he's, he's with me even when I don't understand or see or feel him, that he's with me. I remember praying one time, I can't feel you, I can't see you, I can't touch you, I can't sense you, but you said you are here, and so I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to speak to you because even if I can't see you, I know that you're here. He says without him we can do nothing. 
And so it makes no sense for us to go from liminal space to action, to active space, right? It doesn't make any sense because if we go from liminal space where we just simply remember to active space, we need that space in the middle where we, we cannot skip that place where we recognize and reorient ourselves because God is preparing us for something that is next. Whether it's as an individual, some of you are hearing me speak and you're saying God is preparing me for something else, but right now you're in this space where he's telling you, I need you to reorient yourself to the understanding that I'm present with you, that I'm with you, and I'm not just anybody, I'm God with you, and that there's no form that I'm in where I'm not with you. Because if we don't recognize that God is in this space, and we don't recognize that he is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, and that he is that same Jesus, and that he is that Holy Spirit that has lived from eternity past to eternity future, if we don't understand that, what's going to happen when we get to the next place and we struggle? Because what recognition does is it builds capacity in us. It builds something in us that says, okay, so whatever's next, I can handle what's next. Because the chances are very good that whatever happened in the past got you to the edge of who it is you are. And then God wants to build some capacity so that you can get to the next place. And in order for him to build that capacity, you have to recognize that you are not alone and that he is with you and that whatever it is that you have to handle, whether it's as an individual or as a family or that we have to understand and handle as a church congregation, it is not going to happen without God. So who do you reach for when you struggle? You're going to reach for that God that you recognized in that sacred space. If you're Moses, you're going to remember that that bush burned and that it was not consumed because the Spirit of God was in it. If you're David, you're going to remember that, yes, that guy anointed me, but he also, that Spirit of God that he anointed me with, that Spirit was the same one that defeated Goliath. In fact, in fact, it's interesting because he says, when he, just before he fights Goliath, hey, I remember when I was out in the wilderness and I fought a bear and I fought a lion. And so he remembered those things, but then you have this God who is building this capacity in him because it's one thing to fight a bear, and it's another thing to kill Goliath, but it's a whole other thing to lead Israel and to be a king. And so you have to have this encounter with the presence of God, and you have to take it in, and you have to recognize that he is God. I can only imagine what it must feel like to be Chris Nye, who comes to this church, is first time leading an entire congregation. It's one thing when the buck stops with somebody else, but now the buck stops with you. And now God has to build this capacity in him where he has to understand that he sees the presence of God, knows the presence of God, recognizes the presence of God, and now I can take that and move forward because Imago Dei is a special bunch of people. And it takes a special pastor to be able to pastor this bunch of people. And because that's the case, anybody with any good sense knows that they can't pastor this group of people without God. 
without believing that the presence of God goes before them and beside them and above them and below them and even behind them to push when you don't want to go. So how does recognizing the presence of God reorient us? Well, in three ways, and because I'm a pastor, I love a good alliteration. So, it transcends us, it transforms us, and it translates us. And let's look at all three of those things. The first thing, it transcends us. By that I mean that it is beyond who we are. It is beyond our ability to function. It is beyond who we are as human beings. It's bigger than us. It's other than us. It's other kind than us. It's otherworldly. It is divine. It reaches places that we cannot reach and does the things that we cannot do. The angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then he says of Elizabeth, she's having a child in her, own, in her old age because no word from God will ever fail. God says, my ways are not your ways. My words are not your words. Who I am is as far, my thoughts are not your thoughts. As far above, as, the, as above is from below, as east is from west. That's how different I am than you. And you need to understand that. But you also understand that along with that, as other as I am, you are not alone. That I'm with, that, that's amazing to me that God is with us. Because I got to say, most of us in this room, if we were God, we probably would not spend time with each other. I know I would not spend time with a whole lot of people if I were God. Because I'm God. I don't need anything. I own everything. I can do anything. I would not necessarily need to spend time with people. But you have a God who transcends all of that, and yet he is still with us. He's still here. Where we're headed as a church, God is with us. What we face as individuals, we don't have to face alone. What we're looking forward to is his work. It's not ours. All the impossible things that sit in front of us, that wait for us, he's got that. God's got math that we don't even understand. When we look, at our, we look at month running out before money runs out, or the opposite, rather, money runs out before month runs out. That's what my mom used to say. God's like, I got math. Reckon yourself okay, because that's how it adds up. Some of us have businesses that maybe we think are failing. And the Holy Spirit says no word from God will ever fail. If he gave that to you, he knows what he gave you. And he knows what he's doing with it. Some of us are sick and some of us are suffering and some of us are wondering, I don't understand how this, how this is going to, to go away, how it's going to heal, how it's going to be cured. We have a God who is other. We have a physician who can take care of stuff that none of us can. We have a doctor who can see things that the doctors can't see that he can reach into our bones and our flesh and our lungs and he can say that right there. We have that God who is beyond us and that God is present with us. And so what does it mean that 
the presence of God also transforms us. It makes us ready for what's next. And it does that as long as we have the two twin pains in the rear end that we call humility and surrender. Never, ever comfortable, but so, so necessary. Mary's response when the angel comes to her is, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What if we lived like that? Lord, I am your servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And not just the words. She didn't say, may the words you just said be fulfilled. She's saying, may everything involved in what you just said, the truth of what you said in its completeness, be fulfilled in me. In other words, there are consequences that I don't even know about that I'm saying, yes, Lord. There are ramifications that I can't even imagine, and I'm saying, yes, Lord. There are things that I just don't get, but I've said, yes, Lord. Whatever it is you say, you have people who have said, I know this one friend of mine, and she says, okay, I know God sent me this man. And she gets married, and then she struggled. And she comes to me, she says, I didn't sign up for this. And I said, you kind of did. Because you said God gave you that man. You said yes. You said I do. And so you have said, whatever that means, yes. Mary is saying, whatever it means, yes. And I promise you that the work that God has given you to do, the things and the people that he's put in your life, the job that he put you on, the humans you run into in your daily work, the ideas you have in your head, they are not just there for you to encounter them. They will change you. They will change who you are at your very core. It's not an accident that we see that these two women are having babies. How many mothers know that babies change the shape of who you are? I don't even have any babies and I know they change the shape of who you are. And not just physically. I have a niece who is a, a, a strict vegetarian. She got pregnant with her second child. That girl was scarfing down steaks. Because that baby was like, no, you're going to go kill a cow for me. And she was eating steak every single day. That girl is 14 years old now. And when she's 16, her mother said she can decide if she wants to be a vegetarian, or, but at home, at this house, until you're this age, you're going to be a vegetarian. She's already said, for my 16th birthday, I want bacon. <laughs> she has said this. When she was a little kid, she used to just kind of like walk by and her grandfather would sneak bacon to her. And her mother would be like, Dad, what are you doing? But she was just like, this is, this is who I am. I'm a carnivore. But she changed the shape of who her mother was while her mother was pregnant. The things that God has put in you, the things that he has given you, the ideas that he's given you, the stuff he's given you to give birth to 
will change the shape of who you are, or I promise you, if it does not change you at all, it's probably not quite God yet. Because we change. People have heard me say a million times, we're not just here to finish the work. The work is here to finish us. The work that God has given us is here to finish us. We are God's workmanship. And we were created unto good works. Which means the work is not the thing that needs to get finished. It's us that needs to get finished. And so God transforms us because he is present with us. Maya Angelou says there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Your willingness to carry what God has put in you will change the shape of you and transform you because it is God's gift to you. It's not your gift to God that you finish that work. That work is finished. You literally live into work that he has already finished. But his goal is to finish you. It's to finish you. It's to finish you with the gift of the work that he's given you. But the cool thing about it is, is that we don't have to carry it alone because the presence of God, not just in us and not just with us, but through us, means that we don't have to carry what it is we carry by ourselves. Because the presence of God translates each of us to one another. We begin to understand one another and we can see one another. We are designed to be one of a kind. Now I know that's a difficult thing to hear for those of us who really truly want to feel like you're, you're just a, a part of something, but we're each and every person designed to be different from every other person. And what that means is that we live lives that can feel lonely at times because there's, no, there's not supposed to be anybody else like us. But loneliness doesn't have to be mean loneliness. There's just one of each of us, but the same God who created otherness did with that act create a way for us to see our life's work, which is to help others cross the bridge to belonging. The whole point of people being able to be different from everybody else is that we understand and we learn that I can see you. Mary walks into the room and she greets Elizabeth and the baby leaps because what's in her recognized what's in her. And you have John the Baptist who is in Elizabeth doing a little dance. And then you have Jesus who is responding. And when you look at those two, God makes it possible to give the gift of presence to one another because that thing that is in me, that gift that is in me, can touch Cheryl, it can touch Jeff, it can touch John, it can touch, it can touch Sebastian, it can. And then he can see what's in me. There have been times Sebastian has, has said something to me completely unsolicited, and yet it's as though he walked into my house, opened up my mail, read it, and then read it to me. And it is because the Spirit of God that lives in that man saw the Spirit of God that lives in me and said, I need, to, I need to let you know that you are not by yourself in this. I see you. John the Baptist looks at a cousin and says, Cuz, I see you. 
I see you in your mom. Very cool. And my whole life as John the Baptist is going to be shaped by who it is you are. Our entire lives get shaped by that. It says that Mary immediately went to Elizabeth. It's interesting that the presence of God, when we see it, you would think in your brain that that would just make me, I just want to stay here forever. And yet God drives us out toward others. When we see him, when we know him, when we understand him, when we sense him, when he grows in us, when he does the things that he wants to do, it drives us into the presence of other people. Why? Because the presence of God in us is marked us as beloved, and he wants the presence of God to move through us so that we love others. Because they wouldn't be able to see the God in us except that we were loving them. They will know you by the love you have one for another. We are never more like God than when we are present with one another, when we show up for one another, when we say to each other, you are free to be exactly who God made you to be, and you're free to be who it is you are until you get to be that person. Because let's face it, we're a bit of a mess until we get to the end of it, aren't we? And so, so the presence of God says, I give you freedom to be who you are in process. I give you freedom to be that person. I was at this uh, conference last week, and one of the guys was asking, there was a, a panel up on the stage, and one of them was talking about how important it was to be unified, and, and how do you do that when you have so many different people and so many different this and different that? And he said, it's less about um, a spirit of unity than it is about having a unity of spirit. That we have the spirit in common with one another. And because we have a spirit in common with one another, we can be as different as night and day. Old, young, poor, rich, doesn't matter. We all have that same spirit. And so he talked about the importance of having a unity of spirit above just a spirit of unity because he talked about how just having a unity, just having all people that are different in the same room, that's just geography. But being able to have the same spirit is a whole other thing. The presence of God is also where joy, the joy of the kingdom and the burden of the kingdom meet and recognize each other and understand that one can't be without the other. You have John the Baptist who represents the joy of the kingdom, and then you have Mary's baby Jesus who represents the burden of the kingdom. The Bible says it was for the joy set before him that Jesus suffered and endured the cross. You had John the Baptist who came before him, and when he saw Jesus, it was like, joy, that's because I see him. And when we are in the presence of God and when we have the presence of God between us, we can help each other have more joy. And we can help each other carry our burdens. Because the presence of God is for us, not for me. 
it is for us. And so we find that joy and burden are two sides of the same coin. They're linked. The joy of the Lord is our strength. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations, knowing this, that it will perfect your faith. And so the two things go together. If we have all suffering and no joy, we can't make it. If we have all joy and no suffering, we can barely start. But if we, help, if we help each other with joy and we help each other carry our burdens, then we can make it to the end because that is what it means to be in the presence of God. It's not all joy and it's not all burden. It's both and. Some of you know that when I got here, one of the questions that I had was, what do I have that Imago Day needs? And the Holy Spirit's answer was joy. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> I am very much a unicorn, and most of you, um, I have had to learn to just kind of like dial it down a little bit sometimes so that I can actually hear and help people carry their burdens. It's one of the ways that God has helped to transform me as I've been here, is that I'm learning how to help people carry their burdens instead of just going, well, you should just be happy all the time. You know, it's just like, I mean, don't you, don't you just love how churches are like that? They're all one or they're all the other. We're not called to that. We're called to be both and. Both and. And so, yes, there will be times when you will see me and it will just look like if I cough, Skittles will come out. <laughs> because I'm just so happy. And yet at the same time, I, I, I prepare myself. When the presence of God settles on me sometimes with people, I will, I, will, I will sit in that presence and be able to carry that sadness and carry that struggle and carry that burden. And so for that, I thank you. I thank you for that because I, I've changed in that way. So how do we engage the presence of God and how do we practice being with him and learning to discern his, his hearness and his nearness? Well, there are two ways. And, and, and one is that we order our entire lives around the presence of God and not the other way around. Because don't most of us say I'm going to try to make space for God in my schedule, in my day, in my week? God is saying, no, I kind of need you to order your entire life around my presence. I need you to fit yourself into my presence, into my day, into my time. I need you to do that. But that's for next week. For this week, I want you to know and I want you to practice that prayer is the best way to recognize and become acquainted with the presence of God. That prayer transcends us. Prayer actually says there is someone other than us that prayer transforms us, that when we pray for others, we can learn to forgive others, that when we pray with others, we learn to accept and love and hold on to people, and we are changed by our willingness to pray. That when I, um, when I think about how God has, has said recently to me, and I, I need to, I don't know if I need to apologize for this or not, but I feel like God has said that he wants a regular time of prayer weekly in that prayer space that I need to show up for. And I will admit that my first response was, what if I'm the only one there? And he brought that back to me 
while I was at this conference, and right on the heels of that thought, what if I'm the only one there? The guy up on the stage, that guy, he goes, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Maybe there's just going to be one person in your prayer space. I kid you not. He says this, and I'm just like, okay, Lord. But there is something about that. Meeting God and realizing it, there is somebody bigger than the fact that it's just me. Prayer is scaffolding. When you think about building a building, you put scaffolding around before you build the building so that you can actually reach places that would be unreachable if you didn't have the scaffolding. So as you build, you have this scaffolding that makes it possible for you to reach otherwise unreachable places. That is what prayer does. Prayer reaches unreachable places, places that are beyond our ability to reach. Prayer transforms us. So 24-7 prayer has decided that next year they want to have 52 uninterrupted weeks of prayer next year. So they had like an app and they said, you know, sign up for a week. And by the way, I signed us up for the week of Lent. So that Lent Wednesday, that Sunday prior to the Saturday after, that's our week. As a matter of fact, somebody tried to get that week, I scooped them. Because here's the thing, you had a bunch of people going, oh, I want Easter, oh, I want Lent, oh, I want the first of the year. I was like, I'm getting mine tonight. As soon as that website went live, I scooped in and took our week. So that is our week. So for 24 hours a day, for those seven days, it's 160 some plus hours, we are going to fill every single hour of that seven days with prayer next year, the week of Lent. Just letting you know, warning you now, that's the plan. And the reason is because I think it will transform us. I think it will make us a different church. I think it will make us a different community of human beings. And as we pray, I think that we'll be able to see one another better, that we'll be able to come closer to one another, that we'll recognize that God is in our midst I was talking to a woman at this conference, and she was talking, she was from Portland, and she was telling me about all these amazing things that were at this church that she grew up in, and how there was all these healings and these people who just trusted God to just show up, and God was present, and his presence was heavy, and it was amazing. She's talking about all of these stories, and it turns out she was talking about the church that was in this building before we got here. And how they were so afraid of the presence of God that they started to move those people away. And she said she came to this church after Rick got here. And she sat in the back of the church and she looked. And all the things that were heavy on her heart were gone. Because the Holy Spirit told her it's a different place now. And she said, the things that God has said this church, she, not knowing what I said a couple of years ago here, she said, this church is going to be famous as a place where people can encounter God. She said, I believe that. God said that to me when I used to go here. She's in her 60s, and she was a 19-year-old when that happened. 
And he said the same thing to me. He said that to me. Some of you heard the story of me coming off the freeway and meeting a guy named Kurt who asked, who I gave money to, and then who said, I'll give it all back to you if you just pray for me. I said, absolutely, I'll pray for you. You don't have to give anything back. But the Holy Spirit said, that man, that's the church I want. People who are willing to trade everything they have for an encounter with me, that's the church I will have, he said. And so the key to that is going to be prayer. October 15th, show up. I honestly would like for that prayer space to be so full that we got to go, okay, we got to either spill people out into the streets or move them down the hall or put them in here. But I want that many people in that prayer space because we're not just going to pray, we're going to worship and we're going to declare that the presence of God is the thing that we all chase after and it is the thing that we want. And then we're going to move into a series called What We Believe. And when we look at that series, some of you are thinking, eh, Apostles' Creed, eh, it's basic, eh, we're going back to basic. We're not going back to basics because in this space that we've been in, we're getting new eyes. We're getting new understanding. We're changing the shape of who we are. And I want you to look at that Apostles' Creed with those new eyes and those new hearts and those new minds. So forward we go. As you come up here to take communion, I want you to think in terms of what this says. This says that we serve a transcendent God who himself was transformed so that we would be transformed. A God who translates and understands who we are and can tell others who we are through us. As the band comes up, I want us to really start to understand that when we take communion, we are recognizing who God says he is. And we are agreeing with him. We're giving him our assent when we take communion. When we see people who will be standing at these doors and we go to pray, we are saying, there's somebody outside of me that I need to talk to who has called me beloved and who reaches for me. We are going to be the church that God has decided he wants. He didn't ask us. He's telling us. And the goal that we have as human beings on this earth, the very reason we exist, is so that we can give him the desires of his heart. Let's pray. God, you are Jehovah Shema, Jesus, Son, you are Emmanuel, Holy Spirit, you are the Comforter. Y'all show up and we are grateful. Father, make us into what would please you. Teach us to go out and love others as you have loved us take communion and as we pray and as we spend time with one another remind us that you are with us in Jesus name